0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 6th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, so usually we do the water cooler today or yesterday. Uh, we are delaying this another day because HT is away on a set visit, but she will be back tomorrow. So you'll get your water cooler goodness then. But today we have a bunch of news to get to because some some big news dropped after we recorded the podcast yesterday. Some big Batman news. Matt Reeves is doing this new film, The Batman, uh, and a lot of casting is finally hitting the web. Uh, ben, what do we know?
1: we know that Andy Circus, who has worked with Matt Reeves before, he played Caesar in both of Matt Reeves' uh, Planet of the Apes movies, is now in talks to play Alfred Pennyworth, uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman's butler in The Batman. So it looks like we're going to see Circus probably not doing a motion capture performance here, although that would be very amusing if Alfred, and only Alfred, wasn't a motion capture person. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this is uh, this is good casting. Andy Circus is... A terrific actor, you know, in or out of the a perform- a performance capture suit. So this is kind of a a cool uh, bit of casting here. I, I don't know if it tells us much about like what we can expect for this version of Alfred, because we've seen different versions, you know, different sort of interpretations of Alfred over the years. But, um, you know, one of the most famous Uh, versions of Alfred was played by an actor named Michael Goh, who is in all of the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher movies. And he was 73 years old when he first played Alfred and circus is only 55 now. So it seems like this may be a bit of a younger sort of more potentially rough and tumble version of Alfred who, you know, may be able to like uh, hold his own in a fight if it should come to that. So we'll we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny. Your headline says Andy Serkis is in talks to play Alfred, who probably won't be a motion capture gorilla. Uh, But what if he was then? Like, what if it was like that? um, That Netflix series. uh, What am I looking for, Chris? That's uh, it's based on the comic book by Oh, Umbrella Academy. Yes, Umbrella Academy, because that had a butler that was an ape. What if Andy Serkis was, was a version of Alfred, but as an ape?
1: Uh, then the Batman would be the greatest movie in history. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I, I mean it is clear that Matt Reeves has. I, I, I feel like I feel like Andy Circus has gotten pigeonholed as this guy that just does these motion capture performances, and I think Matt Reeves Matt Reeves sees the potential there for live action. Um, like Andy Circus is a very talented guy. Uh, Chris, what do you think of Andy Circus as Alfred?
2: uh it's it's cool i mean all pretty much all the casting for this movie has been somewhat outside the box and i'm kind of excited about that because like if you had said like ah let's fan cast alfred i'm i guarantee you no one would be like yes andy circus and i i think andy circus is an interesting actor not just for motion capture stuff but when he's doing you know quote-unquote normal humans he's he's pretty he's pretty interesting when he does that too so it's definitely not going to be what we're expecting so i'm kind of excited about
0: that and speaking of -of out-of-box casting you reported yesterday that colin farrell is gonna be playing the penguin
2: yes apparently colin farrell is in talks to play the penguin and that too is very out-of-the-box casting um you know, this could go one of two ways. They could, you know, slap him with a bunch of weird makeup and make him put on a, a fat suit or he could gain the weight or he's going to be the, the, the most handsome penguin ever. Uh, no offense to Burgess Meredith. But so um, I guess we'll see again. This is all outside the box casting. And I'm 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 very interested.
0: See, the only thing that worries me about this film is, like, that there's so many villains in it. Like, we know... Who else is in this? We know the the Riddler?
2: Yes, the Riddler, and they're saying Harvey Dent is going to be it. They're not saying it's going to be Two-Face or not, but it sounds like Harvey Dent will
0: definitely be in it in some capacity. And I feel like usually, when you when it comes to superhero films in particular, when you shove too many villains in a movie, usually... It it kind of ends up like Spider Man three, you know the Sam Raimi Spider Man three. Uh, so that worries me a bit, but like the casting does have me excited. Uh, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, um, and there was some talk. Uh, you said you said Harvey Dent. There was like some rumor that someone was offered the role and in, and in, in denied that casting or or turned down the casting.
2: Oh yes, um, a member of the hit show Succession was uh, rumored to be uh, offered the role. We don't really know who it was. It just says a member, uh, one of the I think it was one of the writers of either Variety or, or Deadline, I can never remember who, said someone from Succession. We don't know who it is, but th- the assumption uh, I had was that it would be Jeremy Strong because he's the actor everyone talks about from that show. So that's just my assumption. And he would have been pretty good for that part, but he turned it down if it was him indeed.
0: What, what what do you guys think about the too many villains like do you think th- this many villains like can Matt Reeves handle this I think it can work I mean you know the Dark Knight had
2: both Joker and Two-Face in it and that worked out just fine so I, I think it can be done and even like Batman Returns which I really liked had you know Catwoman and the Penguin in it and which is apparently what this movie is going to have and that yeah. went okay so it, it depends I guess
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be maybe more in line with like uh, The Dark Knight Rises, how um, what's his name? Uh, Scarecrow shows up very briefly, as a very small role in that. I I suspect some of these roles are going to be pretty small, Um, even though these are big name people jumping on. Maybe it's just like franchise potential. You know, they're uh, these characters could be explored further in later movies down the line or something. But I think Matt Reeves is a smart enough filmmaker to be able to avoid the pitfalls of, you know, uh, some of the other superhero movies that we've seen in the past.
0: I think what I'm really curious is, is this based on a previous Batman, uh, comic book run or graphic novel? Like, it, like, it seems like it would be easy to be like, this could be Hush, this could be The Long Halloween. Or is this something wholly original? But we're gonna have to wait and find out uh, exactly what this is when we learn more info. Uh, but speaking of too many uh, villains, let's talk about too many heroes. Uh, yesterday we were talking about how there is a there's going to be a new Spider-Man into the Spider Verse. A sequel is in the works, and apparently Phil Lord has said that Japanese Spider-Man might be in that sequel. So I guess the question is Ben: is there too is there going to be too many Spider-Man? In uh, the Spider-Man sequel,
1: <laughs> uh, I don't think so. And and again, I mean, in the same a uh, way that I think Reeves is a, an intelligent enough filmmaker to know how to avoid <laughs> problems like that. I think Lord and Miller are, are especially adept in this area and have proven already in the first Spider-Verse movie that they know how to um, get the balance right when it comes to cameos and little uh, moments with uh, multiple Spider-Man and spider man and Spider-People and Spider-Creatures all you know being mixed in. Um, for those who don't know, Marvel licensed the TV rights to Spider-Man to a Japanese production company back in the 1970s, and they produced I think it was 41 episodes of the show from 1978 to 1979. And the show was loosely based on Spider-Man, but is mostly just its own completely bonkers thing. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this and you've never, if this is new information for you, click the link in the show notes and watch the the first couple minutes of the first episode of the Spider-Man show, because I embedded it in this article. And it is, uh, I mean, the opening sequence itself is just completely insane so um it should be a lot of fun to see this totally wild um very very untraditional version of spider-man to to mix it up with some of the the more uh, familiar characters that we know from the spider-verse
0: movies yeah so we'll get the future of the japanese spider-man in into the spider-verse 2 uh, but uh let's move on to quentin tarantino uh, we, we've been talking a lot about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year, and uh, people have been wondering, you know, what the, what happens to Rick Dalton after the events of that movie? And uh, Quentin Tarantino usually isn't willing to like give the details. Usually, he's kind of hushing on, on these kind of things, I think. And uh, he has some ideas. Chris, what do we know?
2: Right. So, uh, first and foremost, I, I'm I was happy to read this because it is a vindication for me and my theory. I remember. Um, when we were talking about this movie a while back, I was like the only person on the staff who said that I thought the ending suggested that Rick Dalton's career really isn't going to go much further. Whereas everyone else seemed to think that like they were the the ending was implying that, oh, he's going to become a big movie star now because he, you know, he goes into Sharon Tate's house and, um, the way Quentin Tarantino phrases it, it seems that my theory was the correct one, and I'm always one to gloat, so I'm going to <laughs> gloat here. And um, I'm not going to break down what he says, because he names a bunch of actors I have never heard of. I had to like look them up. Uh, but it boils down to the way he sees it is Rick Dalton's career would pretty much end up putting him on like guest star roles on cop shows in the 70s, where he would just be playing like the the older police chief who chews out the the star of the show so he wouldn't even be like the star of these shows he would end up having like just supporting roles on on cop shows in the 70s um you know it's also worth pointing out that Quentin new isn't saying this is definitely what happened to rick Dalton. it's just that he's saying this is what he thinks happened you know it's really however you want to interpret the ending is is how you can interpret it but in his opinion, Rick Dalton would not be like this big movie star now because he just befriended Sharon Tate. He
0: would still just end up being a TV guy. So we shouldn't hold our breath for a sequel. You're no. <laughs> Do you think that will ever? De- Do you think that we will ever get like the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back of Quentin Tarantino movies, where like all his characters kind of intersect into one movie?
2: No, I think he's a better filmmaker than that.
0: So. Although he has well, talked about ideas like that. He's talked about the v- Viggo brothers, right?
2: Right, and that he never made it. So, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, yeah, he probably only has one film left in him. I, I would assume that probably would not be it. So, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's, let's move on over to Netflix. The Witcher is in production, and the showrunner has announced that there is seven seasons planned for the arc of this show. Chris, what do we know?
2: Yes, Lauren Hisrich, who is the the showrunner of the upcoming Netflix uh, take on The Witcher, says she has plans for at least seven seasons of this show, which, you know, on one hand, that's kind of smart because it's good to plan ahead. On the other hand, I can't think of a single Netflix show that has lasted seven seasons like yeah what is is
0: the longest house of cards five Uh, i think orange and the new black might have
1: gone seven Seven? maybe did they get to
0: seven if so that's like the only one yeah Hmm.
2: yeah and so yeah on and also you know on the other hand there's a lot of source material to work with there's there are eight witcher books i believe so if they want to do each season as a book they could get it to be that but you know, this just seems a bit um it's either like ambitious or it's tempting fate. I don't know really how you want to think of it,
0: yeah. I feel like saying this like is almost like a curse for this production. It's a curse right. for this show. but on on one hand, as someone who has gotten somewhat burned by the ending of shows, you know, like Lost or uh, Dexter or you know or whatnot, there there's a ton of shows that I feel like. You can see that the showrunners didn't have the ending planned when they started the the show. Um, I like the idea that that this that the show, showrunner is planning out like even in broad strokes a character arc for the entire series. But on the other hand, uh, does that leave the show less open for you know like? Uh, I when I, when we were talking about this in the Slack channel, we were talking about Breaking Bad and how Jesse originally was supposed to be killed off in season one, and they they kind of discovered that relationship, and that relationship became the core of that series. Like, does planning things this far in advance, le- like you know, leave you less open for those kind of choices?
2: Um, it does if you want to be like rigid to it, but you know, the Breaking Bad example is the best example because. It was, They realized that they shouldn't kill Jesse off like while they were making that first season. So as long as you know the people behind The Witcher are open to letting the show evolve organically, um, they'll be okay. But if they like try to fit everything into like rigid boxes, then I could see that running into, into like an issue.
0: I will say this: the the few shows that I've watched in television that have been based on books, and that have been. At least uh, in a significant way, like an adaptation of that book, I feel like those shows have gone off the railing after they've strayed away from the you know the books and the way that the show was planned out in the series of books that it was planned. So I feel like I don't know, maybe more people should do this. Maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. I'm going to say something nuts right now. I know people are probably going to yell at me for this, but we all accept that Breaking Bad example as like the example of why you should you know. Trust your gut in those situations, not planned stuff. But we don't know what the version of Breaking Bad would have been if Jesse had died. Like what? Like that version of Breaking Bad could have been even better. I'm playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We will never know. We don't. We do not live in that uh, universe. Um, but okay, our next story we're going to talk about is the Joker. This deals with spoiler, so if you have not seen. Todd Phillips, the Joker, you're going to want to tune out now because this involves uh, heavy spoilers of a the fate of a character. So, okay. So in that movie, Zazie Beetz uh, plays this woman who is a neighbor of Arthur Fleck. He lives. She lives down the hall, and uh, Arthur Fleck develops a relationship with her, which at one point is revealed that the relationship didn't exist at all. It was all in Arthur Fleck's head, and he's in her home and there's a moment where she's trying to kick him out of his her her home and uh it's kind of left up to the audience's uh imaginations what happened there did arthur fleck kill her did he leave her you know what, what did she survive uh but now we finally have an answer ben what do we know
1: yeah, so uh, first of all, I, I just learned recently that this actress's name is pronounced Zassi Bates, like, like as in Bates oh, is it Motel. Really? Uh, yeah, she she posted on her Instagram like a pronunciation wow. guide because so many people just constantly just read it as it's written. Um, and I did the same thing. And, oh, wow. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So it's Zassi Bates. Uh, so, yes. Um, yeah, interestingly, uh, I, I was one of those people that kind of was left wondering what happened to this character. But Todd Phillips, the co-writer and director of this movie – gave an interview uh, to IndieWire recently where he says uh, he doesn't kill her. And the he, of course, is is talking about Arthur Fleck, Joaquin Phoenix's character who becomes a Joker. He says, uh, definitively, as the filmmaker and the writer, I'm saying he doesn't kill her. We like the idea that it's almost like a little bit of a litmus test for an audience to say, okay, well, how crazy is he? Uh, and then he goes on to say, most people that I've spoken to think he didn't kill her because they understand this idea that he's only killed people that did him wrong, so to speak. Um, she had nothing to do with it. Most people understood that he was living by a certain code. Uh, and then he he finishes the quote by saying, of course, he didn't kill this woman down the hall and her child. Um, later on in that interview, he goes on to say that he cut a scene later in the movie in which... Uh, Bates' character, her name is Sophie, is watching the Murray Franklin episode where Joker shoots Robert De Niro on the air. And he said that the reason that they removed that scene was because the entire movie up to that point had been told through Arthur Fleck's perspective, and it would literally change the DNA of the film if he shifted to somebody else's POV as they watched those events. So that makes Uh. sense to me. Um, But I, I think... You know, uh, Chris, you sort of alluded to this point earlier that like just because a, a filmmaker or a writer says something about a movie after the fact doesn't automatically mean that it's, you know, the the definitive uh, version. If it if there's some room for interpretation in the movie itself, I feel like it's in the audience's hands at that point to interpret it however they will. And and if the filmmaker doesn't do enough to uh, to, you know, put forth, to to justify the reading that they want, then I think it's totally fair for people to be able to read into it and, and sort of interpret it however they like. So um, I think his justification makes sense here, but I also don't blame anybody for wondering about this as they're walking out of the theater, you know?
0: I mean, I feel like this is a film that leaves so much to the imaginations and the decisions of the audience. And it seems so weird that out of everything, Todd Phillips would be, it would come out and be like, no, 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 that didn't happen. Like, I feel like if he wants audiences to come out of this movie and wonder what's real and what's not, why not not comment on this? Like, it seems so weird that he would. Uh, But that said, um, I, I'm not quite sure if I buy the whole, it's, you know, he's living by a code. Like I know Arthur Fleck, uh, obviously everybody that, that dies in this movie at his hands is someone that has done him wrong. But I wouldn't, cons- I wouldn't necessarily consider that a code. Like, uh, I mean, in his warped mind, uh, it could be that she did him wrong by not, you know, you know, he imagined this relationship and she was not accepting of this relationship that he only imagined in his head. Like, I feel like from, the point of view of someone who is not all there, like that could be seen as someone that did them wrong. Am
1: I? I mean, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about because that seems to be the type, the time in the movie where, um, that character is really, you know, starting to go on this downward spiral. And I think Phoenix's performance is so intense and, and sort of nervy and edgy that like you could, you know, you could make the leap in your mind that maybe he snaps and, and kills her and the daughter in that room because he's well on his way to, like, becoming the quote-unquote Joker at that point. But, Chris, I think you brought up a good point in our Slack channel earlier about, like, you know, the, this is the time that the movie reveals to us that that relationship was fake. So that's also Arthur realizing that he's sort of uh, imagined this whole thing, too, right?
2: Right. Like, the you know... The, the the visual language of film dictates that the reason we're seeing those flashbacks is because it's Arthur suddenly realizing, oh, I, this was all in my head. So I don't know. I, it would just strike me as weird if he took that as her doing something wrong. And I also just feel like him killing her and the, the daughter turns him into, like, Jason Voorhees, which is not what this movie is, is like, going for. I'm not saying... He's justified in any of his other killings because that would be silly. But in his mind, those killings are justified. And I feel like him killing her, killing off Sophie would just be against what he's going for because his whole thing, you know, is, ah, society has done me wrong. And she's not really part of that. She's sort of like down on his level in his mind because she lives in the same scuzzy apartment building that he does. Mm hmm.
0: I feel like I just wish there was a point in this movie that we had like a holy thing that everybody that's watching this movie could agree upon is like very disgusting in his action. Do you know what I mean like I feel like there's some people out here, and I know we've talked about this in the past on the podcast, but there's some people out here that watch this movie and think like empathize with him and think that his code is right like these people screwed him over and him shooting these people like he is the hero of this movie for them I I feel like if there was a killing like uh, this character like I feel like that might be enough to like you know leave those audience members who you know kick them off that train because like to
1: to sort of draw a line in the sand and and get everybody on the same page about what type of character he is you
0: mean yeah 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 Hmm. but
1: yeah i don't know i I mean i guess it's a more interesting movie because it doesn't do that because uh, (laughs) but even though it it may be uh more i don't know if you want to use the word problematic but if you if you view it that way then sure um but yeah I, i mean i don't know ultimately i think this is like a lot of uh a lot of discussion for a movie that doesn't necessarily warrant it, in in, in the messages that it gets across. But yeah, um, it is interesting to think about this stuff too.
0: Yeah, okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slashfilm.com, including the links to the stories we talked about in today's show in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback. Questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slash And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.